to not have a home with a baby, that was really scary. No money. I just felt so powerless, which is a big, important step, actually, in understanding addiction, because you recognise that the things you have been doing are not working. And that's powerful. Hello, and welcome to the Parenthood Pod. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanov, and every week I will bring you conversations that aim to smash the stigma on struggles we face as parents. This segment is The Vault, where we ask you, our community, what is keeping you up at night? Your messages remain anonymous. They stay in the vault. To submit your confession, click on the link in the show notes. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm joined today by Elena from uh, the Soul Mama Hub. We actually found each other via Instagram. So welcome. Thank you so much, Leonie. It's so great to be here. So good to have you on. Another podcaster as well. So Elena actually has her own podcast, Unboxable, which is inspo for mums with big dreams. So I love that. Um, She's a mentor for mothers uh, and uh, fundamentally everything from her Instagram to essentially her mission these days is really in supporting mothers. Now, Elena, for your benefit, our podcast is Parenthood, i.e. for both mums and dads, uh, even though uh, we do probably have a... Yeah, (laughs) we do we have a bit more of a heavy listenership on the mum front, but we certainly don't like to isolate our dads as well. But uh, but yeah, similar sort of mission in trying to support us parents. So yeah, I love that. Um, one, what I actually got Elena on for today is to help around the discussion, a topic that's um, actually quite taboo. And this is what I love discussing, things that other people just aren't talking about. And it is around sort of addiction, um, particularly in early parenting. So this particular question, Paula actually DM'd me um, and this is what they actually said. So I'm a new mum and I'm really struggling. I find it so overwhelming on most days and all I want to do at the end of the day is pour myself a wine to, to unwind and relax. I've noticed myself drinking more and more to the point where I think it's becoming excessive. I feel too ashamed to tell my partner or any of my friends in fear of judgment. So I hide it from them. I feel like I'm slowly slipping a bit into a dark hole and feel in incredibly lonely. Is this normal? So look, a pretty raw confession here. Um, and, you know, first and foremost, thank you for that person who called in. It's not easy um, to be sort of sharing an aspect of your life that you may not feel overly proud about. So I really appreciate that because I know there will be other people out there who may have similar sort of experiences. So Elena, I want you to start off, please tell us a little bit about your experience in the early parenting years and your experience with with addiction? Yes, certainly. So I entered into motherhood age 31 and I was living with my partner at the time and we were in what I would now term an abusive relationship. I didn't at the time. And we were also, you know, certainly I was struggling with um, active addiction. So what that meant is that during the period of my pregnancy and the first two years of my parenting, I was really struggling. And I actually think this is more common than a lot of people realise, especially in motherhood, for women to be battling with substances of all different types. Some of them can be prescribed, you know, and uh, it is so taboo, as you say, and I love that we're talking about it. I'm like you. I think it's really important to shine a light on it 
And my experience was just that I really always believed that being a mother would cure me of the adverse effects of early life trauma or self-medicating trauma, which I was doing with my addiction. And there's a man called Gabor Mate who talks a lot about this, about the link between early life trauma and drug and alcohol usage. And, you know, that link is firmly established now. So so I guess the first thing I had to do was understand why I was in addiction and and really forgive myself for, I guess, not just immediately being healed magically when I had a baby, which is what I thought would happen. You know, I genuinely thought mm. for years and years, as you do, in when you're in addiction, there's a high level of denial, you know. And um, what's really beautiful about this person that has contacted you is that they are confronting that denial and showing some awareness, which is really the first step. So my experience day to day was, it was a real struggle. You know, I struggled with housing. I struggled with intimate relationships with my partner, which I then, I think I was single from when my son was four months old. We couldn't maintain our relationship. I was evicted. You know, the, the story goes on and on. But day to day, it was just that I just couldn't wait to numb out. You know, I couldn't wait to mm-hmm. have a break, which makes you a very non-present parent and then brings a lot of mm-hmm. guilt, a lot of guilt and shame. Absolutely. I'm not sure how open you are sort of in discussing um, this, but uh, if you, um, you know, please share as much as you you feel you would like. But around um, the addiction piece, sometimes it's helpful to at least even get a bit of perspective, I guess, particularly for those of us who might sit there going, oh, well, I like to have a, you know, vino at the end of the day. And maybe sometimes my husband and I will drink a bottle of wine on a Monday, you know. So I, I wonder from, you know, from your perspective, perhaps, where did you start seeing it becoming dangerous and unproductive and therefore it goes from, I enjoy, call it, I don't know what your thing of choice was, whether it was a drug or alcohol or whatever that looked like, but I'm enjoying that recreationally to actually this becoming problematic. Look, I think, and I I am open about, I ended up attending a 12-step program for five years and was completely sober and and that was a really powerful experience. So there's a few layers I can answer that from. Mm-hmm. I think typically lots of people self-medicate in ways that are very typical and functional and, you know, it's not a big deal and, and it's very personal. But I would say once it starts to affect your relationships, it starts to affect your ability to function in a job or pay your rent or if you are choosing solo drug or alcohol usage over contact with those you love, that's a big red flag. Also, Mm. I feel like there's a lot of internal shifts. When you're in an active addiction, you don't like yourself very much. There's a lot of guilt and shame involved typically. So I'm not an expert on addiction, but in my experience, I would say that that was the real killer. That was the bit that I really, my self-worth was just at an all-time low. And that meant that I would tolerate things in my life that were so unhealthy, relationships, situations, and all money, energy, everything would go towards the drug of choice, whether that's alcohol or more illegal substances. I think that's a big red flag. So, and alcohol is a drug. It's just a legal drug. That's exactly right. 
My, so what I found in my experience with early parenting, well, I actually had prenatal depression and postnatal depression, which was the reason why I started the podcast. I had it both times around for both of my children. They're only 18 months apart. Sorry, honey. So um, that was, yeah, thank you. That was quite a confronting couple of years. Um, And I do agree that, I mean, a lot of the stuff from your childhood or from your life pre-children really that you haven't dealt with perhaps, or, you know, traumas and things like that sort of do creep up definitely, you know, when you have your children. So yeah, it's not a a fix for all of those out there who don't have kids listening. (laughs) Kids are not a fix for anything, let me tell you. Um, But one thing I feel, and this might sound a little bit ignorant, but I was, I breastfed my children. So I was, for example, if I was feeling like I was in a massive slump, ordinarily, preached kids, I'd go get a vino and I'd have a glass and I'd feel better. But because I was breastfeeding, I was so much more mindful of what I was consuming. And so in a way, it was a little bit more of a a blessing in disguise because I Mm. couldn't, you know, reach for that. I had to find other ways to kind of, you know, maybe eat chocolate or something or whatever it looked like to sort of numb the sensations that I was feeling. So I was curious your thoughts. Um, I guess it it depends whether you're, for example, breastfeeding or not or, you know, what that looks like. But regardless, Regardless, as parents, we have a level of responsibility to keep this little child alive. So what do you think, when it comes to addiction, particularly in early parenting, what does that look like? Like, What did that look like for you, knowing you also had responsibilities on the day? Yeah, it it was really when I look back, I'm amazed that I managed it. There's a level of genius involved. And and uh, it's really strange. You get very, very creative. So I would seek a lot of time on my own so that I could do what I wanted to do without affecting my child or I would make sure that they were safe. That was always a priority for me. I was always cognizant enough and responsible enough, I'd say, most of the time. I'd say 99% of the time mm. my child was my priority and that remained so. It just made me more crafty in my usage of the numbing agents. And um, I was lucky in the sense that I wasn't using opiates, um, which can be extremely dangerous in that sense. You know, there are some drugs you can't do that with, right? You can't be around kids at all. And and so mm. it was a very strange time. It was a strange time where I was sort of split in two. I was breastfeeding also. I was being as present because I'm a a naturally uh, soulful parent. That's what I talk about now in my work, soulful parenting. And I wanted so much to be there for my child. But at that at that point in time, in early motherhood, I just couldn't. And I think it's that thing about when you have a new baby, it's not only the day-to-day situation of having a new baby that you're dealing with, you're also dealing with matrescence, the process of becoming a mother. And that is not always well supported in our communities. And we're often very much left to our own devices without any rites of passage or any real acknowledgement of this incredible shift in our identity. And that's where a lot of depletion and sometimes depression can seed. Um, They're two very different things, mind you, I would say. But but it can really be a part of our our cultural and social lackings, you know. So day to day, Mm. I was alone. I was scared and unsupported. I was going through heartbreak. I was unhealthy. Uh, I lost a lot of weight. I looked, you know, a shell of my former self. A lot of my early life traumas were being activated because 
I was also a child of a very early single parent and put into care at the age of four weeks. So a lot of my own early life traumas were being activated. I didn't know that at the time. So there was a lot of layers. But day to day, it was just hand to mouth. It was survival. It was, you know, how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to get food on the table? How am I going to make it through the day? It was it was really severe, you know. Were you juggling work at the same I time? Wasn't. Was yeah, I wasn't really able to work and I hadn't really been able to work for some time because of my addiction. I had semi-held down jobs here and there, you know, but couldn't really long-term. And that's that thing about relationships. I couldn't really maintain healthy relationships with anybody. So it, it culminated, and I don't know if you're about to ask this question, but the it, mm. it culminated in a kind of a, a situation where my son was, I think, just pre-two years old and I had no childcare. There was a big childcare crisis at that time as well. It was a long time ago. He's 19 now. So uh, at that point, childcare places were like hen's teeth and they were very expensive and it was the beginning of the childcare crisis. So even if I'd wanted to work, it would have been extremely difficult. Uh, so I had no job, no place to live. I was living at a friend of a friend's house in their spare room with all of my belongings piled up around me and my little boy with me every day and no real family support. I was pretty alien. I mean, I won't say no support. I had really jeopardised my relationship with them. They absolutely loved me and supported me. But at that point, I was kind of unsupportable. And so Mm. there I was and I got chucked out of the house I was like squatting in, basically couch surfing in because someone in there had a psychotic episode and threw all my belongings on the road. Mm. And so I got this phone call, you better come back. You know, he's thrown all your stuff on the road. We knew he was in a bit of trouble. And then there I was, all of my belongings in the middle of the road. It was quite a a symbolic moment really. And so I put all of that back under cover and I couldn't stay there anymore and I was homeless, you know. So I found myself with nowhere to go, no real money. I had a car and I just kind of drove around and I and I had like a caseworker looking for childcare for me, which was amazing. And so they managed to connect me with somebody actually in one of the Jewish communities near Bondi and they had a house that was kind of empty and so I sort of stayed there. And But for about a week or two, I was homeless, you know, and it was a very strange experience because I didn't grow up in the kind of lifestyle where you would expect that to happen. You know, I had a loving family, I had a good education, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So that, that was a wake up. Was that rock bottom or when was rock I would bottom? Say that was one of a few. Mm. Yeah, that was a few because <laughs> I got evicted from my home first to be couch surfing. That was one. I'd say separating from my partner when my son was very young. That was another. Having a lot of stress during my pregnancy. So my birth was affected and his birth weight was affected by the stress during my pregnancy. So that first couple of weeks when he was in the neonatal intensive care, basically because of my living situation and my lack of health, you know, that was really terrifying. So there was lots of moments that led up. But I think that was probably the biggest and that was the moment where things changed. So what did change look like for you in that moment? So you're there, you're finally, you're in sort of near Bondi or whatever it was in, in a house that at least it's a temporary accommodation, I'm assuming. Yeah, kind was of it? Yeah. At that, at that point, did you say things have got to change or when was it? Yeah, that was that was really scary. To not have a home with a baby, no money, I just felt so powerless, which 
is a big, important step, actually, in understanding addiction, I believe, is that when you recognise you are powerless against your habit, when you say, okay, well, I'm doing this even though it's detrimental, even though, and I keep thinking things will change, but I'm doing the same thing over and over, which I hear a little bit of in that message that you receive from your listener as well. And so it's a very brave and courageous step to accept, I can't do anything. I'm helpless. And it doesn't mean mm. you can't take action. It means that mm. you can take action from that moment on, but different action. You're going to do something different because you recognise that the things you have been doing are not working. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Absolutely. So you attended the, is it the 12-step program, the five? Yeah, so what, how many, happened so, was I yeah. had two family members who sort of understood. One was a therapist and one was an ex-addict himself and a psych nurse actually. And they both visited me mm-hmm. and they both kind of confronted me. You know, they kind of intervened. And then my parents got on the case and tried to organise a rehab for me. But because I had a young child that didn't really exist to have mother, there are now I think one or two in Sydney, but at that time there were no rehabs you could go with your child. So mm. I never forget the interview at this rehab and uh, they said, look, you've actually done incredibly well considering what you've been through. You know, you're doing amazing. But coming here with your child, not with you, would completely offset anything we can do for you. So go to meetings, get some therapy and get a job, you know, like set yourself up for success. Mm and gave me really good advice, which was just, you're on the right path, keep going, you know, and that was pretty awesome. And, you know, those first few weeks of of overcoming an addiction are really hard and I would highly recommend that if you are anticipating that or expecting to go through that, that you really shore up the bases. You know, you make sure you have supports, 12-step programs, There's nothing like them, in my opinion. Absolutely incredible. Mm. And by that, I mean Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. Amazing. Because you have a community and community and connection are absolutely Mm. the key. It's why I do what I do, you know. Absolutely. Mm. Those first few weeks, Mm. realizing, okay, this is it. I've, you know, we're just kicking it to the curb and... Like, I mean, I see in movies and things when people come off certain things that they're addicted to, their whole body is just like physically can convolt, like it just, everything gets thrown out. So without having gone to like a rehab centre or something like that, who was there to support you and and your child during that time? not really anyone, to be honest. I was kind of on my own. I had friends and family supporting me, but... Mm. No one really that knew what to do. And I think that's why the 12 step mm-hmm. and the therapist and the were so important. And I did get a job mm-hmm. and I got a flexible job. I was very lucky, reasonably, and I got a position in a childcare. So I was able to start actually building my life up. But that few weeks, I mean, you don't really sleep either. So that there's this intense level of depletion. Again, you've got adrenal fatigue from surviving you know, you've got all the depletion and fatigue and adrenal fatigue that comes from having a baby as well and breastfeeding or minding that baby on your own in my case. And then all of the emotional stress is sudden. I talk about it was as if, this is a great analogy I heard in one of the meetings I went to, that it's like you've been on a speedboat 
and you've been outrunning the wave of trauma and emotion and the big feelings you've been trying to avoid. So you've been speeding along on this speedboat, doing everything you can to stay ahead of it. And then the speedboat stops and the back wave just washes over you. And it's completely overwhelming, you know. It was such a roller coaster. Just really intense. I think such a, you would have come out of that being so strong as a person. Like I think it's so admirable for the people who, you know, dust themselves off, you know, next chapter, let's go and and look at the lessons and look at you now, like inspiring so many, you know, mothers around the globe just, you know, from your experience. I think that's absolutely amazing. Passion-driven businesses or initiatives are just, I think, so fruitful for our society because, you know, you can hear from even from your story and the way in which you so eloquently tell it like this was not an easy street at all oh, for it's you gutting. yeah I mean, it's gutting like, absolutely isn't it I, I'm like you could make a movie yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like this is so coming. you know like it's <laughs> yeah I'm like when's the book it's when's coming, the it's yeah. coming. is there are you gonna write yeah, one or and yeah good yeah I'm to tell this story yeah and I feel like I don't want to give any false pretenses here. It takes years. I mean, I was in active addiction for 10 or 12 years. So so it was, you know, five years of intense self-development, continuing, I would say, still in intense self-development, right? I got my black belt last year. I'm, I'm now married with two children and I'm a women's martial arts instructor. I'm an educator and a business owner and, you know, and I, the work continues. I mean, every day, you know, so it's not like... If you want to do incredible things in your life, whether you have addiction or not behind you, mm. the work continues, you know, as you know. And so... Absolutely. But you don't change everything all at once, right? You, you take a little baby step and you take the help. You humble yourself and you take the help. And I will say that looking back, as horrible as it was and as much as I, even now I get chills when I, talk, I have a physical sensation when I talk about it, mm. it's still... Um, I would never change it. Like I'm just ridiculously grateful, which sounds so cliched, but it has made me, you know, it completely made me into a different person in a way, like not a different person, but a person able to do different things. Yeah, I literally got shivers as you said that. It's so it's so mm. true. I, I let's circle back to this person. So let's say, obviously, your your story and and you know your lessons were probably a little bit more on the, you know, extreme. call it extreme end. Or yeah. you know, there was yeah. you know, yeah, um, a, a number of years there, as you mentioned, mm. of addiction and things like that. And that again, that's why it's so powerful hearing from you who has been through you know it all to get to where you are today. For this particular person or other parents out there going, you know what, firstly, I am struggling. Yeah. This is hard. This is not what they showed me on Instagram when I looked up parenting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is not it. Like I am sleep deprived. I'm over it. You know, call it my husband's not around or my wife's not around or my partner, whatever, you know. So, uh, you know, and I feel so alone yeah. in this. And yes, I am reaching. I'm reaching for chocolate. I'm, you know, call it, I'm running every day. I mean, people have different addictions, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not eating. I am eating. I'm yeah. drinking. I'm, you know, all the things, um, and I can't seem to stop with this hamster wheel situation that I've got going on. And it might not be overly excessive, excessive, but it is frequent. Yeah. So every day I probably will have a chocolate bar or whatever, yeah. you know. And so what 
in that moment yeah. where it hasn't quite hit extreme yeah. levels, tell us what is your guidance for those people? So first I will just say if you're reaching for a chocolate bar a day and that is your worst problem, keep reaching for your chocolate bar and give yourself a huge dose of self-compassion that you're going through, mm. father or mother, you're going through, or carer, you're going through one of the biggest, biggest, biggest things in your life. I mean, this transition, especially for child bearers, is the biggest physiological, physical, spiritual, emotional, practical, cultural change in your life, bigger than adolescence, mm. bigger than anything, mm. okay? So, so depletion and disconnection are, are sort of the the danger areas in the work that I see, you know, the work that I do with women. This is what I see. And that a little bit of that is completely typical and completely natural and just take it easy on yourself and don't feel like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk at the moment about a big performance that was that happened with a, a pregnant woman. I don't know when this is coming out, this episode, but there's a lot in the news right now about that. And there's two sides of it. One side of it is what an incredible thing to see a pregnant woman owning her space on stage. And the other side of it is why are we putting so much pressure on this woman or any other woman to be so incredible when they're in early motherhood and when they're pregnant? And why is it not enough just to be in early motherhood and pregnant? You know, making small humans into big humans is a huge job. So so I would just say, if you're on the lower end of things, give yourself time. Give yourself large lashings of compassion. You will be reparenting. You will be going through your own childhood and playing it out and having reactions that surprise you, having emotions that surprise you, and that's okay. And you're not expected to be perfect. It's okay. You know, soulful parenting doesn't mean perfect parenting. It just means doing your best on the day you know? So self-compassion, number one. Number two, I guess, along that theme, I talk about three Cs, which is compassion, connection, calibration. So like if we can stay in a compassionate space, however we do that, it might just mean we need to drink more water and have more contact naps. It might. It's very personal how we do that. How do we stay in a compassionate space? Do we need to be more gentle with ourselves? Do we need to do some one-minute meditations? Do we need to have a bath once a week? There's things you can do every day, every week, every month to help yourself stay in a gentle space and stay out of that adrenal survival situation, right? Because that's when you're more likely to reach for something to numb out. So how can you keep your equilibrium, whether it's emotional or physical, and then the next is just to be really connected, like as much as possible to those around you, accept help whenever you can. Don't feel ashamed if things are not perfect and not like you see on Instagram or like you expected or, you know, most of the time other people understand that and want to help you. And when you allow someone to help you, you do them a great service. You think about how it feels to help another person. Let people in, you know, so connection big, big key. And calibration is really about actually how can you be aligned in a bigger sense with something for yourself, with your own purpose beyond parenthood? How can you have a little bit of time to socialize, a little bit of time to read a book, or as they get older, time to focus on your bigger projects, your next career, your next course of study, your communities? You know, How do you calibrate so that you've got time and space for that? And, um, 
that's sort of the inner nutshell. But I think the the biggest thing I want to say is just you aren't broken if these things are happening. They're all too common and we need to normalise it. And the temptation, I think, is when you have a big change in your life, like parenthood, that you think you need to change everything at once. You think that the house now needs to be perfect. You need to be in the best of health. You need to have everything locked down and humming along like a machine. You need to look your best. Everything needs to be a certain way. That is not how things work. And similarly, if you're feeling addiction creeping in, you might feel like you need to make big changes. I would say it's the opposite is true. Let's start with the small things. And in the program that I run with women, we start with rest, nutrition, mindfulness and mental health. You know, like we start with the basics. Mm -hmm. So always just change one small thing and just start where you are. Start from where you're at and just go slowly. Just don't rush. It doesn't have to be fast. So that's kind of, Mm -hmm. and just find the help you need, whatever that looks like. I love that. No, very well said. Uh, I ask all of our guests uh, this final question. So how has parenthood changed you as a person? Such a big question. I think the first thing I will say is immensely and it's 100% made me because it's been so challenging because I've had three different types of births and I've had one child as a single and, you know, two children are married and like all these different circumstances. I think overall it's just cracked me wide open. It's cracked me open and allowed me to kind of remake myself in a different way. And I love that opportunity. I often say parenthood is the best self-development opportunity of your life, you know, and that's that's where I love to kind of hang out with people in that space. Mm, oh, absolutely. How can people find out more about you and your work? Sure. So the best way to get in touch with me is to find me on Instagram or Facebook at soulmamahub, S-O-U-L-M-A-M-A-H-U-B or just elenaturley.com, my name, elenaturley.com. Perfect. I'll pop Thank those you. details in the episode notes. Thank you so much, Elena. It's been an absolute pleasure oh, chatting. It's been so such thanks a for pleasure. coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at parenthoodpod and join our Facebook group. Until next time. Thanks for listening. The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on, the land of the Wurundjeri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging.